while we were worshiping, the one song that we, that we did, can we just get the words on the board quickly? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. It, it, it's, it's funny, I, I was actually thinking of including this scripture into the message this morning, and I decided not to, and then we sing this song. And what is amazing to me is that when we sing the song and it says, open the, heart, the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. And he's saying, you know, the, the word says, you know, nobody can see, physically see God and live, but we can see him in our hearts. And this is what this song is about. And it says, I want to see you. And it reminded me of Job. And when we go read the book of Job, Job is trying to make sense of everything that has happened to him. He's, he's trying to come to a conclusion, why did this happen to me? And then he says quite a few things, and his friend says quite, quite a few things, etc., etc. And then in Job 42, the last, the last chapter of Job, we see these words, and I want to read them to you this morning. Job 42, verse 5, listen to what he says. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes sees thee. Wow. Can we see God? Absolutely. How do we see Him? In our hearts. And you know what is quite amazing to me is the verse that follows that. In verse 6, he says, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And he says, I, I cancel everything that I've said before because I didn't understand. Now he understands. Now he sees God and he sees the plan of God and he sees God's plan for his life. And that is what is so amazing about this God that we serve, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua Messiah. Let us just bow our hearts in prayer. Our Father, I want to use the words of Job this morning. And I want to say, Lord, I've, I've heard about you. I've heard so much about you. I read the word and I hear your voice. But now I've seen you. Lord, we've seen you in our hearts. And that's why we are asking, Lord, open the eyes of our heart this morning so that we can see you. So that we can have communion with you this morning. So that we can honor your name. Abba Father, I ask that you will, you will open our hearts to receive your word this morning as well. That you will prepare fertile ground this morning to receive the seeds that we are sowing. So that those seeds can fall into fertile ground. So that they can grow. And so that they can bear fruit. And may that be true for every person here this morning. Everyone listening to this message this morning. And we honor and we praise you in the mighty name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning... I want to talk to you about religion versus relationship. This, this came about when uh, I was listening to somebody praying. And I thought about the difference between religion and relationship. I don't know if you've heard sometimes, you know, we talk to one another and we have a chat and we can talk, you know, freely to one another. And the moment that we start praying, our voices change. The tone of our voice change. The words that we use change. I call that Christianese. We start talking a different language. And I have a problem with that. 
Because why do we do that? Who are we trying to impress? We're not impressing anybody. When I sit and I talk to God, when I talk to my Father, I have a conversation with Him. I don't change my voice. Oh, maybe just when I cry. But I don't change my voice. I don't try to speak different words. He understands my heart. He knows what's going on in my heart. That's why I wanted to talk to you about this, this whole thing about the difference between religion versus relationship. And there have been so many times where, where I had to explain to people that there is a huge difference between religion and relationship. And the problem that we have is that we can be involved in religion without having a relationship with Jesus, without having a relationship with Yeshua. And I'm sure that many of you have heard this, this saying that says, you can be so busy with the things of God that you forget about the God of the things. And isn't that true? We, we are busy with all sorts of things, but we don't get time to spend with Him. And when I talk about religion, let's, let's just be honest about this whole thing about religion. When you talk about religion, religion, if you look at religion, it is, it is quite an important aspect. Because if we're honest about it, the true sense of the definition of religion says that Christianity is also a religion. Because that is what religion, the word religion means. Is that Christianity is a religion, but it's just a religion like Buddhism or Judaism or Hinduism or any ism that you can think of exist. So it is a religion in the true sense of the word. But there's a difference. There's a difference between the religion that you and I have and any other religion. And that difference between Christianity is that within Christianity we can have a relationship with our God. There is no other religion where you can have a relationship with the God of that specific religion. It is only in Christianity where we can have a relationship with the God. The problem is, is that a lot of Christians treat Christianity as just another religion where there's absolutely no relationship with Abba Father. One of the key scriptures that I've seen in the Bible that shows us this difference between religion and relationship is found in Matthew 7, verse 21 and 23. And, and in, this, in this section of, of Yeshua's ministry, he's actually talking to the Pharisees. And he's talking to the Pharisees about all the things that they are doing. Now, we must just remember the Pharisees were the leaders of the religion. They were the spiritual leaders of their time. They were the ones that knew the Bible inside out. Well, we didn't have the New Testament back in those times, but we, they had the Old Testament. They called it the Tanakh. That was the Hebrew word for the Old Testament, the word Tanakh. And that consisted of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then they include there the prophets and the writings. And the writings is the Psalms and everything else that goes with that. They called it the Tanakh. So they had the scrolls. They knew it. They knew it off by heart. And yet, when Yeshua talks to them, He says this to them in Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. 
And we must remember he's talking to, to all the people that surrounded him, all the people that were standing there, including these, these religious leaders. And he says this, he says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And what is this kingdom of heaven? We always think that this kingdom of heaven is a place that we go to. It is somewhere that you and I will be one day. But when we look at the Greek definition of the word kingdom, it is the word basileia in, in Greek, and that word basileia means the authority to rule. It is something that we do. It is a condition that we find ourselves in. It is not a place where we go. So he says here, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the authority to rule or the authority of God. He said, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me that in that day. And when is that day? When we will all stand before the Lord. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name have cast out devils. And in your name done many wonderful things. And if you read this, you think, wow, these guys are, are amazing religious people. They've cast out devils. They've prophesied. They've done many wonderful works. They've done miracles in His name. But what were they doing? They were busy with religion. And then he says this to them in verse 23. He says, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And if we read the scripture, it seems like these people were doing exactly what we've been told. They were doing exactly what the scriptures were telling them to do. But there was no relationship. They were practicing religion. And what we are seeing here is that the main concern of these people was to please men and promote themselves. They were attempting to establish the power of human nature in opposition to the grace of God and the righteousness of Christ. And the only difference between true Christianity and every other religion is relationship. You see, without relationship, it becomes like any other religion. I want to look at the definition of religion, and I took this from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and it says the following, it says religion, the belief in a God or in a group of gods, so that depicts all religions, an organized system of beliefs, ceremonies, and rules used to worship a God or a group of gods. And then it says informal, it's an interest, a belief, or an activity that is important to a person or a group. Listen to this next one. A personal set of institutionalized system of religion or religious attitudes. I'm going to say that again. A personal set or institutionalized system or religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. A cause, principle, or system of beliefs. Held with, or held, uh, held to with order and faith. And what does it say that? They are very serious about this. They are very serious about their religion. But it is an institutionalized thing. Do, do you know this word institutionalized is quite interesting? 
And, and when I looked at this, I, I call it, sometimes call it organized religion. And what is the problem that we have with organized religion? Organized religion is a system where, let's call it a denomination, where the denomination is more important than the Word of God. And, and let's call it the church, where the church becomes more important than relationship. Where we belong to a church instead of belonging to God, belonging to Yeshua. And it's funny to me, you know, I don't know if you've seen this before, or you've heard this before, when you talk about religion and people will always ask you, oh, so, so what church do you go to? And what they are actually asking you is what denomination do you belong to? Because they want to see if you believe in the same set of rules that that denomination or that institution has set aside for that specific denomination. Because they have certain sets or rules and things that they've set aside so that we can conform to those rules and then identify ourselves with the institution. I identify myself with the Word of God. I identify myself as a child of God. And, and you know what is so, so funny? It's... Um, it's sometimes, you know, people are called a sect. But you know that the people who followed Christ were called a sect in the Bible? It's quite interesting, isn't it? So are we in relationship or are we practicing religion? And when we looked at, look at the, the verse we read earlier or the scripture, the piece of scripture that we read earlier, the people Yeshua was talking about is described in the previous verses within Matthew 7. He's talking about these people. And they were the false prophets and those not bearing the fruits of true relationship. Because he states in verse 20, he says an interesting thing. He says, you will be known by the fruits that you bear. So what fruits are you and I bearing? There are actually two kinds of relationships. The first or not relationships, sorry, um, I apologize. There are two kinds of religion, two kinds of religion. The first is where people adhere to the rules of the specific religion and is therefore defined as an organized system or organized doctrine with an approve, uh, approved pattern of behavior. In order, so if I belong to this specific organization, there are certain patterns, there are certain behaviors that I need to conform to. And this is what is commonly referred to as ritual, ritualistic religion, um, or as I said earlier, um, organized religion. It is, it is set according to rigid rules, certain rules that we, gotta, we, we have to conform to. And it's exactly what the Pharisees ha had. The Pharisees had a set of rules that the people who were involved in Judaism had to conform to. They had to follow these rules. And the funny thing is, and a lot of times they speak to Yeshua, they speak to Jesus about these rules, but they're not even in the Bible. And we follow rules that is not in Scripture. And that is what this is actually referring to. You see, the Pharisees had a biblical religion, and they believed that they served God, but they rejected the one their religion was centered around. Because the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament, speaks of Yeshua. It is, it is a guideline to show us who Yeshua really is, what He came to do for you and I. Every prophecy about Jesus Christ, about Yeshua HaMashiach, was written in the Old Testament. They had all the prophecies. They, were, they should have been the ones to identify Him. They should have been the ones, like John said, there is the Lamb of God. They should have been the ones that, identify, that should have identified Him as the Messiah. 
the one that the Old Testament or the Scriptures was talking about. But they missed it. You see, they were so involved in religion that they didn't see the writer of the Bible. And that is why Yeshua told them in Matthew 7 verse 13, he, he says to them, he says, they, the Pharisees, making the word of God of non-effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and, uh, and many such like things do you. Your tradition. We cling to traditions. We have so many traditions within our religion that sometimes I wonder if we still see the Word of God. You see, these religious leaders needed more than the Word of God offered them. They needed more than the Messiah. They needed their own rules. And therefore, they created a set of rules that they imposed on everyone else. They were walking around. They were, they were the religious police of their time, walking around making sure that everybody conforms to their rules. Do you remember when they approached Yeshua and they said to him, why, why do your, your disciples, why do they not wash their hands before they eat? Now, now let's just understand this. It wasn't because their hands were dirty. It was a religious ritual that they followed. And they believed they, they had a, you can still buy them if you go to Israel and, or you go to, to one of the Jewish shops here in, in Johannesburg or wherever there are some Jewish shops, you can find them there. People who, who follow Judaism. They, they've got a jug, and this jug is quite interesting. Um, it's got two handles on the jug. So what they would do, because your right hand was the right hand of authority, the left hand you did all the bad things with, you know, all the dirty things with, so what they would do is they would grab the one, the one handle on the jug and they would rinse their right hand so that it can be pure and, and, and clean. And then they would take the clean hand and take the untouched um, handle and then rinse off their other hand and now they were clean. Now the funny thing is, there's no such instruction in the Bible. But they followed it. And they asked Yeshua, why don't you follow it? Why don't your disciples follow this, this tradition that we have created around the Word of God? And then Yeshua goes in and He tells them, He says, you don't understand. You're not following Scripture. You're not following the Word of God. You see, these are the people that thought they knew more than everyone else, including God who was standing in front of them, who was standing before them. They were the keepers of the law of God who actually added to the word of God and made it of no effect due to the traditions and their decrees that they adhered to. Religion has always been man's attempt to please a God that they do not know or that they do not have a relationship with. That is what religion really is. They are the ones who believe that they are more religious, more spiritual, more pious, and more important than anybody else. They are the ones requiring titles and rules and regulations to conform to a doctrine to suit their own selfish desires. It is what I want, so I create a rule for what I want, and now you've got to follow my rule. That is what they did. You see, they are not interested in the truth. They have their own perceptions. They have their own opinions, their own interpretations, their own definitions. When you go and you study theology at university, it is called hermeneutics, and exegesis. It is a, a method of interpreting the Bible. 
And that is one of the biggest problems that we have in Christianity today is because everybody wants to interpret the Bible according to their rules and their desires. Instead of just reading what God wants you to do and what He's saying to you in the Bible. And the other thing that we do is we change the Bible. We, we have uh, new translations and we take the important stuff out because we don't agree with it. And, and I think I've mentioned it last time that I, that I uh, preached about uh, the, the, um, the armor of God. I was talking about it and I was saying, you know, that Sonia was collecting, or not collecting, she bought some of these, these new, little New Testament Bibles and, and remember what I said, they only have the New Testament and the Psalms. And the reason why they do that is because we, we sing the Psalms in church and we have the New Testament because we don't think that the Old Testament is relevant to us anymore. So we cut that out. And I wonder how long it will take before we have Bibles with no more Old Testament in it. Because we are said or we are told that it has no relevance to our lives. You know what the most amazing thing is? is we miss God's plan if we don't know and don't understand the Old Testament. Sometimes when we read the New Testament, and unless you know what, is, what it says in the Old Testament, you will never know what it says to you or what it's trying to say to you, what God is trying to say to you in the New Testament. I made a statement recently that some people study theology for seven years to learn what the Bible doesn't say. And we can laugh about it, but it's true. You see, attending church or reading your Bible, serving on groups and committees, does not automatically make you a true follower of Yeshua. Paul writes to Titus regarding people living in godly authority, and he's, he's talking about, he talks about an elder, an elder in the church. What is an elder in the church? You know, we've, we've done this, this silly thing in church. We, we select somebody and we make them an elder or a deacon. but we don't know what the Bible says about elders and deacons. We've got absolutely no idea what it says. If you want to find out, go and read the, the Word. In 1 Timothy 3, it describes to us what an elder should be. And when they talk about an elder, the King James talks about a bishop, but it's actually an elder, and what it means is somebody that lives in godly authority. That is what an elder is. Somebody living according to the Word of God. Somebody living with godly authority. That is what Paul is talking about. And he says, when people with godly authority, he's talking to them. He says, holding fast, Titus 1 verse 9 to 11, holding fast the faithful Word. What does he talk about when he talks about the faithful Word? He talks about the true and the trustworthy doctrine of the gospel, of the Bible, not of people's uh, doctrines or people's traditions about the Bible. This is the, the pure Word of God, which he's referring to. He says, as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, and this sound doctrine is a statement of the truth, and the only truth that we have is the Word of God. He says, be, um, that he may be able, by sound doc doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Now, who are the people of the circumcision? So we just need to clarify that. Because there are so many, so many things that have been said about circumcision and that it no longer exists and that we don't have to be circumcised anymore, that it's completely untrue. When he talks about the people of the circumcision, he's talking about an ethnic group. 
You must remember when God spoke to Abraham and he said to Abraham, what I want you to do is to identify you that you now belong to me as I want you to circumcise all the men. It was a sign of ethnic identification. It was a pattern of what God wanted every single person, men and women, to do. And what is that pattern? Has circumcision disappeared? No. Definitely not. What is it? We need to be circumcised of the heart. Our hearts need to be circumcised. The Word says that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It is through the heart being circumcised that we receive the covenant that we have, that you and I have with Yeshua. So have, have circumcision disappeared? No. But who is he talking about? He's talking about Judaism. He's talking about the Jews. They of the circumcision. And he says amongst them they are trying to convince you that what we have been teaching you and what Yeshua have been teaching you is not true. Verse 11. He says, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses. And when he talks about a house, he talks about a whole family, and they're trying to turn them away from the faith. They're trying to turn them, away, turn them away from the Messiah, from Yeshua. He says, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake, for their own gain. You see, religion is driven by self-centeredness. It is the, the famous me, myself, and I doctrine that we follow. See, religion is about what I can gain from it. It is never about God, but it is all about me, what I can get out of it. We are so emotionally driven that you see that religion has to make us feel good. We need to feel good. We need to feel happy. We need to feel, and it's all about how we feel. It has to be about what we do. That is why, why James says to us, we must become doers of the Word. We must do what God has told us to do. You see, we live in a world of entertainment. We live in a world of, of self-gratification. And we have taken our religion, we have taken Christianity, and we have transformed Christianity to comply to, to, comply to these principles. And if we are not entertained, we are no longer interested. This whole thing about entertainment is very interesting in the modern church. And the more you look at church these days, it's all about entertainment. You don't have pastors anymore, you have motivational speakers. You don't have worship leaders, you have professional bands and groups. And more and more churches are built around entertaining the masses instead of pleasing and worshiping God for His namesake. Because we are so concerned about what am I getting out of this process. If the worship does not move me emotionally, then it's not good enough. And we forget that we're not here to be moved. We are here to worship God. That is why we're here. And that is why so many worship sessions look like nightclub events with lights and smoke and all sorts of things happening on the stage. It's no longer about God. It's all about entertaining the people. You see, we have made religion into a game that we play. The well-known pastor and writer A.W. Tozer 
Many of you must um, have heard of him and many of you know about him. He passed away in 1963, the year that I was born. And he said this, and I want you to understand, he said this pre-1963. He said, most men indeed play at religion as they play at games. Religion itself being of all games, the one most universally played. You see, that's what we've done with religion. We've turned it into a game. You see, religion focuses on the individual, doesn't focus on God. And that is why Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 to 5, and he says this again. He says, preach the word. When he says preach the word, he's talking about what? He's talking about the Bible, the word of God. He says, preach the word, not man's doctrines or catechisms or confessions, but the truth of the word of God. And you know what we do as Christians? We keep on adding and taking away from the word of God. The Bible actually warns us against that. That we're not allowed to add or take away from this word. But that we need to stay pure and true to the word of, of God. So he says, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. And that means whenever you can. We, we always, you know, we've got this thing that we say, oh, no, no, I can't, can't talk about religion today, or I can't talk about Christianity, or I can't, can't talk about Jesus. It's not the time for it. That's not what Paul says. He says, be instant in, in season and out of season. Whenever you have a chance, preach the gospel. That's what he's saying. And old Francis of Assisi once said, and if it's absolutely necessary, use words. So our lives need to preach the gospel. Our lives need to exhibit Jesus Christ, Yeshua, to, to everybody else. Verse 3. Oh, he says this. this for, sorry, I'm not finished there. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering long and doctrine. Wow. He instructs us to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Have you ever seen when you try and do this, and you, and you walk up to somebody and say, listen, what you're doing is not in line with the Word of God? What is the first word that they say to you? Don't judge me. No, I'm not judging you. I'm reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. But we're not allowed to do that anymore. We might offend somebody. And it's so funny to me that the word says that Jesus came to offend. Number three, or verse three, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. In other words, they will compile their own doctrines and their own traditions. But after their own lusts, that is that me, myself, and I, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. What does that mean? They only hear what they want to hear. They definitely don't want to hear reproof, rebuke, or exhortation. Verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. And that word fables in the Greek means fiction, inventions, and falsehoods. He says, But watch you in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. What is Paul saying here? He says, stay true to the truth of the Word of God. That is what you and I should be doing. You see, the problem with religion is that anything can become like a religion to you and I. Anything. 
We are practically, if you look at people these days, we are practically, practically driven by sport and exercising and entertainment. And to some people, <laughs> this has become a religion. They religiously get on their bicycles every Sunday morning to go and cycle. You know what's so funny to me? The amount of money people spend on bicycles. Some people will say it doesn't matter what it costs, it's, 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 never, it's never expensive. How much money we can spend on the things that pleases us? You see, we have become more conscious in these days of all sorts of things. Rugby, cycling. The new thing, in thing I see is cross-training. A lot of people get involved in that. Yoga, Pilates, games, and all sorts of other, other forms of entertainment. And we get so involved with these things that we don't have time to spend with God. We have, we have moved God to one side because all my time is consumed by all these things that I'm involved in. And you know, I'm so busy, I don't get time to spend time with God. I don't get time to go to church anymore. Why, why do we do this? Because we want to be entertained. See, we are constantly busy with the things that pleases us. And we are not in a mindset of pleasing God. In that same letter to, the, to Timothy, Paul states in, in his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 verse 2 to 5, he says, For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, Listen to this one. Despisers of those that are good. You see, what has happened in society is if we don't conform to society or to worldly beliefs or to worldly belief systems, you become an outsider. You are being despised. And you are labeled as a nonconformist. Why don't you do this? You have to. I don't have to do anything. The only thing I have to do is honor God and worship Him and praise Him. That's all I have to do. I don't have to do anything else. In verse 4 he says, he calls them traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And more, this has happened more so in, in, in this modern time that you and I are living in than in, at any time before. And Paul is he's warning these people 2,000 years ago about the same things that we experience today? And, and, and we thought that entertainment is a modern phenomenon? No, it's always been one of man's weaknesses. Just like we are building stadiums today, they had stadiums that they built to be entertained. And then he comes with this one, verse 5. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. He's not talking about atheists. He's not talking about people who do not believe. He's actually talking and referring to believers within the church. 
because he is writing to the church. Timothy is the pastor of the church, and he's warning him about the people within the church. If I just look around me, exactly the same things are happening in Christianity today. You see, religion also drives people to believe that by following rules, hoping to be living right and doing the right things is what determines their faith. They come and they serve God out of duty because they think they have to. And this becomes a process of self-effort and a works-based religion. And this is why so many prominent people walk away from the faith, especially these last couple of years. It is interesting, I, I follow a newsletter about uh, religious institutions from the U.S., from America. And every now and then I read about a pastor or a worship leader or somebody that says, I no longer believe in God. And they walk away from the faith. Why? Because they've been practicing religion. They've not had a relationship with Almighty God. And the danger of this is that we are lured into a false sense of security. We believe that we can work our way into heaven through good works. I don't know if you remember, Angus Buchan used to say, good people don't go to heaven, believers go to heaven. People who have relationship with God. The problem with thinking that by being a good person will save you is who determines what a good person should be. Because I can tell you, what you and I think of what a good person should be and what they think about a good person in Papua New Guinea or any other country for that matter is completely different. There is only one set of rules we can follow. It's called the Bible. There's no other set of rules to follow. Paul Washer once said, I don't know if you... If you know Paul Washer, he's also a pastor, he's an American pastor. He said this. He said, a lot of people think that Christianity is you doing all the righteous things you hate and avoiding all the wicked things you love in order to go to heaven. He says, no, that's a lost man with religion. A Christian is a person whose heart has been changed. They have new affections. They have a new love. They don't care about entertainment. What they care about is a love relationship with Yeshua, a love relationship with Abba Father. And that is the difference between religion and relationship. Relationship starts with a change of heart. And that is the second type of religion that I wanted to talk to you about, which is actually relationship. Relationship is a life-transforming, destiny-changing experience. It is a definite commitment to the crucified and risen Savior which establish an ongoing personal relationship between a forgiven sinner and a gracious God. You see, Yeshua didn't just die on the cross to take away our sins and to offer us eternal life. Yes, He died for that as well. But that's not all He did. He was also the sacrifice that established atonement. He restored our relationship with Father so that we can be in an intimate relationship with Him. You see, Yeshua brought you and I into a right relationship with God. Being in a right relationship with Father means that there are no secrets between us. He knows everything that you do anyway. 
but that I can go to Him and I can be honest with Him. I can worship Him in truth and in spirit. And it means that I live according to the Spirit and according to the truth of His Word. And that in itself produces a clean spirit within us and a sanctified life of righteousness. Because that is what God requires of you and I, that we live a sanctified life of righteousness. And being in a right relationship with God means that you are in constant communication with each other. You see, without communication, there can be no relationship. Just think about the people around you, the loved ones around you. If you stop talking to one another, I can guarantee you that relationship wouldn't last long. There's an old hymn from 1912. And some of you will remember the words. It was written by a man, by a man called Austin Miles. And it depicts this level of, of communication that we have with our Father. This level of relationship that we have with Him. And listen to these words, and I'm sure all of you will, will know this. It was so funny when I wrote this down, I, I can't get this song out of my mind. Keeps on churning in my mind. Listen to this. It says, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And then he says, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. That speaks of relationship. That speaks of listening and hearing God's voice. You see, being in a right relationship with God brings about an inherent peace because we know God's presence, protection, and provision is upon us. Paul wrote this in Hebrews 13, where we are assured of His presence in our lives. And in Hebrews 13, verse 5 to 6, he says, Let your conversation, and I just need to clarify this word conversation. Conversation is, yes, we are in communication. But it also, if you look at the Greek word for this word conversation, is the word tropos. And that word tropos means the manner of your life and your character, an attitude of your heart. That is what it's describing here. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Without covetousness. Being without covetousness means that we desire nothing more than God has already given us. He says, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Lord is my helper. I had a, had a conversation some time ago with a friend of mine. And um, I mentioned before we started the, 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 the service, I mentioned to you that, that I like when, uh, when you see the word Lord in capital, all in capital letters, I like to use Father's name, Yahweh. And, and my friend said to me, you know, isn't it quite interesting that, that God's name is never used in the Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament. If you read through the New Testament, the word Yahweh in the Hebrew is used more than 7,000 times in the Old Testament. His name is used more than seven times in the Old Testament. Why don't we use His name anymore? You see, there's a, there's a tradition following traditions, talking about traditions. There's a tradition in Judaism that they are so afraid of saying God's name out loud that they've replaced His name with a title. 
And that title is the word in, in the Hebrew is the word Adunai. The word Adunai is, if we translate it into English, is Lord. And in Afrikaans, it's the, it's the word Yere. It is not God's name. It is a title. Because if you read the Bible and you go look at the, the Hebrew words, you will see that Abraham is also referred to as Adunai. His wife calls him Adunai. He's definitely not God. It is a title. So what the, Judas, or what the Jews have done, or Judaism have done, is because they're so afraid of, of mispronouncing God's name, they've replaced it with the word Adunai. So when they read the Hebrew Bible and it says there, Yahweh, they will read Adunai. They will ignore the word Yahweh in the Bible. Yodei Vavai in the Hebrew. So what is interesting, we had this conversation and we said, but, you know, he said to me, nowhere do you see that Yeshua or anybody else uses the name Yahweh in the New Testament. So I thought, well, it, it should be there. And, and then I did some research. And what is actually interesting about this research is that in most times when the word the Lord is used in the New Testament, it should say Yahweh. It refers to God's name. How do we know this? So in about 400 before Christ, 70 men decided that they wanted to, to translate the Hebrew Bible or the Hebrew Scriptures into Greek. And it is a, a document, a Bible called the Septuagint, or it is sometimes referred to as the LXX. Now, sometimes when we want to see what Greek word is used for a specific Hebrew word, we use the Septuagint. We go to the Septuagint, we follow the, 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 the Scripture in the Old Testament, and we look at the Greek word and see what they've used for that specific word. Now, what is interesting about that is that when you look at the Septuagint, everywhere that the word Yahweh is written in the Hebrew, they have used the Greek word kurios. Now, if you go and read the, the word kurios, which means Lord, so in the Bible, you'll see that a lot of times they have used, in the, in the Greek, they've used the word kurios. So, why don't we see God's name in the New Testament? It's because they followed tradition. They didn't, they didn't use His name, they used His title. Um, so, in, in this one, so... If we read verse 6 here, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, you can say there, so that we may boldly say, Yahweh is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So his name is actually used in the, in the or was used in the New Testament. It is just not, we just not see it in the translation. And when we look at this promise, this promise that is given to us here in this verse, in Hebrew 13 verse 5 and 6, God gives you and I a promise that He will never leave nor forsake us. This promise was already given to man in the Old Testament. In both Joshua 1 verse 5 and 1 Chronicles 28 verse 20, the promise is made to Joshua and the promise is made to Solomon. That God will be with them and will never fail. The word says, He will never fail them nor forsake them. And that word fail is never leave. It's the same word. It's the same depiction. It's the same meaning. That He will never fail them nor forsake them. It is the same promise that you and I have. It is the same promise that God gave to the people of the Old Testament. It is a promise of God's love and grace. And it stems from His desire to be in a relationship with His followers. You see, Father wants us to pursue Him and not religion. Because religion kills intimacy. 
We need to be in a relationship with Him, in, with the, in an intimate relationship with Father. And when we are in a true relationship with God, our hearts are filled with joy and excitement because the heart knows its maker. It has nothing to do with duty. It is a privilege to be in the presence of the Almighty God. Relationship is not something that we do out of obligation. It is something that we do out of love, out of the love that we have for Father. Deuteronomy 4 verse 29, and you can actually go read Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 and 5 as well, because when Yeshua quotes in the New Testament, he actually, he actually quotes from Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 and 5. But in Deuteronomy 4 verse 29 it says, But if from there you shall seek Yahweh your God, you shall find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. It doesn't say when you follow certain rules. It doesn't say when you follow certain doctrines. It says, it's when you seek Him with your heart and with all of your soul. That means if we start seeking God with our entire being, we will find Him. This speaks of relationship. When we seek Him sincerely and we seek Him affectionately. And these are similar words to the words Yeshua used when He declared that we need to love God with all of our hearts and souls and minds and all of our power. You see, being in a right relationship with God means you will praise and worship Him for all that He does and for all that He is. Nothing can come from yourself. Everything is from Yeshua and everything is from Abba Father. Because in John 15 verse 5, Yeshua stated clearly that without Him, you and I can do absolutely nothing. He has given salvation as a free gift. And you and I need to accept that free gift of salvation that He's given to you and I. Because that gift was given out of relationship, not out of duty. Do you think He died on the cross because He had to? No. He died on that cross because He wanted to. It's because of His love for you and I. It's the love that Father had for you and I. That's what made him die on that cross, so that you and I can live. You see, being in a right relationship with God means that we need to be loyal to Yeshua, no matter what the cost. Not just when it's all going well with us. It is always, always being loyal to him. And that loyalty is formed by complete trust in him with the assurance that the Holy Spirit will guide and direct you in every aspect of your life. You see, relationship starts with confession, repentance, obedience, and, and faith. It happens when we surrender our hearts and our lives to Yeshua, and our sanctification deepens as we walk with Him every single day. A life of sanctification You see, it has to be a condition of the heart. And that is why Yeshua warned us in Matthew 15, verse 7 to 9. He says, you hypocrites, well the desires prophesied of you, saying, this people draws near to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, what is he talking about? He's talking about the difference between religion religion is honoring him with the mouth and honoring uh, and worshiping or um, 
drawing near to Him with their mouths and honoring Him with their lips. That's religion. But their hearts is far from Him. There's no relationship. And then He says this in verse 9. He says, but in vain they do worship Me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. See, we are steering away from the truth of the Word of God. So you and I need to be born again. Our hearts need to be transformed. Father doesn't care about your religion and your religious practices. He cares about your heart. Your works and your religion should be a reflection of your heart based on your relationship that you have with Yeshua, based on your relationship that you have with our Father. And as always, obedience is the key to this. See, Father's signature in a believer's life is love. When He puts His Spirit in our hearts, our action shows the evidence of His presence, and that evidence is true godly love. Because Yeshua declared in John 13 verse 35, He said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. A relationship with God happens most fundamentally by the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. It is when you stay true to the Word of God that you will find perfect love and His desire to be in relationship with you because it is all written in His Word. His love is declared to you and I in His Word. You see, the Word reveals Father's desire and expectations for relationship. That is what this book is all about. It's not a set of rules and instructions. It's His expectations for relationship. That's why we need to get into an intimate relationship with Father. It is how we respond to His love letter that He has written to you and I. Because if we look at this book, this Bible, it is Father's love letter to you and I written in the blood of Yeshua. That is what this book is all about. And how we respond to this love letter will determine the intensity of our relationship that we have with Him. We have identified the difference between religion and relationship. So let us stay away from religion, where we rely on ourselves, and let's enter into a relationship where we solely rely on Yeshua and on our Father, where we place all of our trust in Him, where we place all of our being in Him, where we follow Him with everything that is within us. And may your relationship be one of love, one of honor, one of obedience, one of worship, and one of praise. Because that is the type of love that He has for each one of us. God wants each one of us to be in a relationship with Him. We get so mixed up and so involved in religion that we miss His love and that we miss seeing Him. So I want to say as we start it, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. And may you see him, may you see his love, may you see his grace, his kindness. May you see the truth of his word. Amen. Father, we come to you this morning. We want to honor and we want to praise you. Father, so many times we get involved in religion and we neglect our relationship with you. 
I want to ask you this morning, Lord, that you will draw us nearer to you, that you will draw us close to you. Lord, we sing a, a worship song where we say, draw me close to you, never let me go. And may that be true for each one of us this morning. Father, that we will stop looking at religion, but that we will earnestly seek relationship with you. That our hearts will be transformed into relationship. To worship you, to honor you, to serve you with all that we have. We pray that in the mighty name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.